Welcome to the Fargo Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Fargo on FX. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 2, titled The Principle of Restricted Choice. Do you know what that's all about? Uh, yeah. I So um, an emailer who we'll get to at the very end of the podcast kind of gave me a, a heads up on the rules of bridge, and then I did. <laughs> I read up on this principle on Wikipedia, and I, I, I can't quite articulate it because I don't understand it well enough, but I it's essentially... Either. Um, in, when you see a, a player play a card of a certain value or an equivalent value, it decreases the probability that those cards are all are in that person's hands or their partner's hands. So right. it's a way to gain statistical information or derive statistical information for an advantage in the game that you're playing. Again, in Contract Bridge. Yeah. Uh, so I, I and, also and, looked at the Wikipedia article, had no freaking clue what I was talking and about. And also how it's... I mean, it's it's so kind of nebulous and just game theory that it can apply to just about any kind of crime drama show. Okay. When yeah. people have hidden ads, like you could put, this could be the name of a Better Call Saul episode, this could be the uh-huh. name of a Breaking Bad episode, this could be the name of a Wire episode. Um, and I haven't looked at the episode titles ahead, but I wonder if they're all different principles of bridge going forward. Uh, could be. Yeah, yeah it, it looked not, like it. it um, oh, okay, because I'm, I'm not even wanting to do that necessarily i'm just saying that two two episodes in they've they've got a theme that they're building here yeah uh and honestly if they're all bridge titles i wouldn't even know yeah yeah so uh what'd you think of this episode uh i actually really really enjoyed it yeah I, me too. this this felt like um just a, a friggin' great week of television uh-huh. uh from from the beginning of uh, the leftovers on through better call saul and the fargo um I, I and I can't put my finger on why, but like they really like Fargo at its best is firing on all cylinders where people are doing some clever things, people are doing some stupid things that they can't tell, and there's some yeah. there's there's some grounding things that are funny, right? And I felt like they all they hit every one of those notes. They did. You've got VM just completely taking over this guy's business, and there's nothing he can do about it. Mm-hmm. You've got. Uh, you know, Ray and Cy kind of running their, their 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 different wars against each other and being more clever than thinking they're more clever than they are, and then there's just a lot of just just really funny dialogue and and yeah. situations here. Yeah, absolutely. That's the thing that I kind of felt was missing from the first episode yeah. was uh, just the humor that strikes me. You know, um, there was a lot of stuff early on, like a lot of quote unquote funny stuff that. Didn't get me, but man, by the end of this episode, the Ray size showdown, yeah, be amazing scene and, and passive aggressive escalation <laughs> right. just was was ah oh, so good, yeah, so good. That's what I want out of. That's what I want out of Fargo. Me too, and I like how uh, they're introducing these ideas of sort of mistaken identities even more. Yeah, um, or not even mistaken identities, but just people think that there are things going on that aren't actually going on, like uh-huh. the safe deposit box, right? Uh, she thinks that Emmett has moved the stamp, and so she gets her revenge on him. And turns out, no, it just the maid broke the the frame, and it's in the shop. But there and, and is... that causes the war, right, between the two. Well, where I they mean, would have patched it up that night, I think. Man, I don't know because like th- that's the thing. She's a fire and forget weapon. Uh-huh. He goes to patch things up, but it's all a subterfuge to get access to the stamp. Right. She's either going to steal the stamp or fuck. You know, write stuff in period blood. Uh-huh. Either way, no matter no matter how good or hor- how poorly Ray does, he's going to walk away from that situation with Emmett hating him. 
Now, the smart play, and here's the interesting thing about Nikki is I don't think she's as smart as I first thought she was because this is the most boneheaded thing in the world to do. Yeah. Like, um, just giving any evidence that you're in the house at all yeah. is throwing away the advantage. Like, I I mean, there's an outside chance that Emmett, a week later, just gives Ray the stamp. Says, mm-hmm. oh, hell, you know. Yep. Take it anyway. I've got enough. Blah, blah, blah. Um, but there's, there's these, there, but there's these dueling concepts here because Nikki's just fire and forget weapon. She's going to go and she's going to leave period blood, which presumably has her DNA. And like, you know, well, if they wanted yeah, to take course. it to the cops, they could, it doesn't seem like they want to. Yeah. But even if Ray hadn't have come and started this shit with him, Emmett's already got his hands full with another deal or right. say that Ray and Emmett had patched things up. Emmett's heading for a bad, bad ending, no matter what happens here. Uh-huh. So it's like, there's this, it's this doomed tragic kind of relationship these brothers have that even if they had played their cards you know haha mm-hmm. entirely correctly there's no way like we started this season in a position where there's no way both of these brothers have a good end and we're just going to see it all be okay. destroyed um i i suppose i mean certainly Emmett is is furthest in the shit here right um i mean ray is not not too far behind he's dating one of his uh parolees he's probably uh, probably some severe consequences he's murdered another parolee he has murdered one yeah uh he didn't technically murder him but yeah he he was accomplice to murder well no wait a second i guess he did kick the thing yeah yeah, i was gonna say he's the one that did the actual determinative action that led to the man's death all right um and either way like you said in the situation he's in with his other parolee, even if he hadn't have been, even if it's the whole time he's like, no, no, baby, don't, he still would have been. Yeah, I'm talking about like Creek. the very start of it, though. You know, okay, like where we join up with this story. I still, uh, Emmett's fucked. He doesn't know it, right? Yet. Right. And Ray is not. You're right. He's not like at worst. He's flirting with his job, but yeah. now I, I, it just feels like they're both they're both completely screwed. And there's no way they're getting out of it. Yeah. Yeah, it seems like it. And such is the story of Fargo. You know, it, it always goes this way. Um, and even if someone does survive, they don't survive unharmed. Right. Um, there will be consequences. Yep. Uh, so before we go on further, I just want to say, make a general announcement that I'm, uh, you can probably already tell that I, I, I'm getting sick. <laughs> uh, I'm in the throes of a, of a chest cold. So uh, I've, I've medicated as much as I possibly can. And uh, I'm hoping to hold out. Hope my voice holds out because this is well. I know I got I got like you got a lot more to I do. Got this like four week. more podcasts to go before I have a weekend. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see what can what I can what I can get out of these vocal cords. Mm-hmm. The principle of restricted vocal cords. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Those restricted cords get you every time. <laughs> I feel like my my nose and mouth is glued shut. Yeah, so I can really, I can really sympathize uh, with Gloria's uh, stepdad. Yeah. Oh, other general announcement I got from a lot, a lot of people that we can, we continually called uh, Ennis her father-in-law. Okay, and she referred to him as stepfather, and then they very meticulously made the relationship clear here. Uh-huh. He's kind of her stepfather in kind of name only. Never were that close. Only were together for four years. The only reason that he's back, that, that explains some of the awkwardness about the relationship. You find out that Ennis is kind of like a, a, a shit human being yeah. all around. And the only reason he's kind of back in their life is because um, since her husband left her, and the, I like the significant pause, like 
pause when she's trying to uh, to pick the right word to describe what he's done. Mm -hmm. uh, She decided her son needed a a masculine influence in his life. Mm -hmm. So uh, Gloria, slightly homophobic. Uh, maybe I don't, were, I don't if, know that evidence if is your action your husband runs off with a as it, it declares as gay and runs off with a man is my son needs to have more masculine influence in his life I, maybe well maybe. I mean his dad's gone right right so well, he no, doesn't have not. that his influence dad, his dad's still active in his life he's staying with his dad right now right now because he has nowhere else to stay right mm-hmm. yeah I just thought that the emphasis okay. on the masculine was, was in. Uh, I mean she, she could be a perfectly nice person it's not her fault that she's born in in a kind of a, a backwards uh, area of the country. I'm just saying she's got a little bit of homophobia in her. Okay. There you go, Gloria. You need to learn computers. Once you get on computers, you need to mm-hmm. uh, educate yourself. T- take her. Take him over to uh, Irv. <laughs> take him over to Irv's office and uh, see if he can learn some computer skills there. Do some Google searches on masculinity. I want to take some time to tell you what's going on in the Bald Move Network. We have a lot of stuff going on this week, as we do always. So we had a commission podcast on Nick Cage's The Wicker Man, which is a lot of fun. Uh, me and Jim said goodbye to season two of Sci-Fi's The Expanse in a yeah. Bald Move TV podcast last night. Uh, tonight we're going to be watching the uh, Tom Cruise Emma Watson vehicle, The Circle. Mm-hmm. Um, reviews were embargoed on that until the oh, day. I'm shit. starting to feel. I start to have a bad feeling about this one, Jim. <laughs> uh, we also have Better Call Saul and The Leftovers that we're covering on a weekly basis. And we also have a new segment on the Bald Moon TV, Who Won the Week? Where yeah. we debate about which of the three um, quality television shows, Fargo, The Leftovers, Better Call Saul, had a better week. Um, which is just kind of it's it's fun it's dumb it doesn't mean anything yep it's just for bald move bragging rights but that, all that stuff is on baldmove.com uh, as always okay so where do we want to where do we want to go first here I don't know do, do you have any <laughs> kind of like outline generally a or? bit I mean but no not particularly I, I don't either. Uh, let's start pretty early on. So we find out that the the award that Ennis won is called a Golden Planet Award. Yeah, is that uh, is that a real thing? I don't think so. But like we talked last week, it does seem like it's it's either the Hugo, it's a Hugo, right? The, the yeah. rocket ship is a Hugo Award. Uh-huh. So and it's 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 a it's definitely a rocket ship shaped award. Yeah. So I'm gonna assume, assume that it's a Hugo Award that they just didn't need to clear rights for. <laughs> what do you, what do you think they're getting at with this Thaddeus Mobley thing, um, where you know Ennis p- potentially changed his name when he moved out here? Yeah. Um, what? Where are they going with this? Is this going to be some kind of reference to? science fiction in Fargo, Man, similar to what we saw last year. Well, with that and Gloria and the fact that she technology's not working on right. her. And, Again, the door doesn't open for her. Yeah, I, I, I do not know, and I sincerely hope not, but mm-hmm. um, I'm going to try to be a little bit more open to crazy story possibilities this season. Um, but I, I honestly don't know. And there's a, there's, I, I think they're playing a lot with shifting identities, like it wouldn't surprise me if it turns out this guy is the Yuri Strangler from East Germany because a lot of people, you know, they notice that there's a, a Yuri character mm-hmm. um, whose name matches the story of the Stasi officer interrogating the other guy, and he's looking for this guy murdered, but the age is wrong. Yeah, like this guy is what mid twenties, 
if you know, and and we're in 2010. This is back in 1980. Um, would it surprise? Is, would the ages line up? Would could Ennis possibly be this uh, guy that fled East? No, there's no way. If you if you won an award, <laughs> so for, he changed his name twice. Or? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. but, but there's there. It's significant that the. Um, these timelines kind of line up a little bit where all these people are moving and, and changing names and changing identities. I don't know where the significance is. There's a lot of yeah. things like I, you know, I looked at all the different books and the book titles and I didn't have anything to go for. I thought it was interesting that there's this autographed picture of a very attractive woman. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that we're in for some flashbacks or do you think that uh, like, it'd be interesting if like she shows up later and is Jean smart, although that's, that's not what Fargo does. It's not an anthology. It is an anthology, but it's an anthology that, unlike you know, like American Horror Story, it doesn't like reuse its characters in that way. Yeah, I mean it. It does, but not in that way. I agree. Yeah, like, like the actors, the like, characters don't bleed into yeah the other stories. It because like you know Wilson season one isn't going to show up in the middle of this season as a stock boy at a supermarket with right. a completely different character name. Yeah. I wouldn't think so. I mean, he is in season one and season two. Mm-hmm. Uh, it would feel a little weird for him to show up in season three. Right. Uh, but I don't know. I, I'm really, I'm a lot of the times not sure what this show is intending to do. Right. Because um, some of the stuff it does is so weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, it's only the third season of the show, so there isn't a lot of history to go on. Um you know, you can say, okay, well, Patrick Wilson's character was in the first episode, the first season, right? So maybe he'll be in the third. But I mean, it could just be that they wanted to link the first two, and they don't want to link the third. And they definitely they they also laid some tracks um, to back to the original Fargo movie. Did you catch that little little Easter egg? In what way? Um, so when size informing Emmett of VM's movements as far as moving this truck onto their lot, they talk they he make this offhand. Um, mentioned about this empty lot that they bought for future investment purposes is oh yeah we should talk to stan grossman about that Uh, stan grossman is the right hand kind of consigliere of um jerry lundergaard's father-in-law right and if you recall the first the plot of the the fargo movie revolves around jerry wanting to have his own deal around his parking lot so right they're kind of making like like a kind of an ex- explicit link to to those movies and those characters anyway. Yeah, I like that. So I thought that was interesting. But as far as um, Thaddeus Mobley, I don't know where they're going. And this is kind of the curse of the podcaster, which we talked about when we did our Legion coverage. Also a Noah Hawley joint is I I think that these are designed to just you just kind of like soak in them or let them wash over you. Yeah. And like yeah, you're supposed to notice these things as connections, but. Not necessarily like beat your brains to try to figure every single one out because all will be revealed or sometimes right. nothing gets revealed because this is a true story and shit's messy. Yeah. But there's an expectation, and that's part of the, the fan experience is to do bash your brains out. And I, I, I don't know. Like, um, I'm not as interested in that this time going around. I'm just here for the experience right. and to see the story and then judge it on its merits, not to kind of score week by week. Even yeah, though, I, f- I feel you there. Even though we do a segment on that with Bald New Television where we try to figure <laughs> out who won the week. So I'm a giant hypocrite. Uh, so is everyone on this planet. Uh, then you die. Get yeah. used to it. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's the thing, though. I, I'm with you on that, and I don't want to say that, oh, this is going to have some predictive power for the end of the season. And I actually kind of hope they just leave it a mystery as to why the doors won't open for Gloria. Like, if they just have that be a weird thing about her yeah. that 
for whatever reason, it doesn't work for her. Yeah, like Nick Offerman had this weird mistrust of the government. He's got this extreme libertarian politics. That didn't mean anything. It was just right. a weird character quirk of his. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. I Now, the cause of uh, Ennis's death, mm-hmm. his nose and mouth glued together. Does that seem a little extreme for Maurice? Glued shut, not glued together. Yeah, that glued would be sh- difficult. Okay. <laughs> glued, glued, glued shut. <laughs> Uh-huh. Um, does that seem a little extreme for Maurice? Yeah, why? Why did he glue his mouth and nose shut? I mean, he's 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 incredibly high on weed. That's a very cruel kind of thing to do. Also, the way he told explained it to Ray was, I'm not even sure he's dead. Uh huh. I wonder, like, is it possible? Because Fargo's this crazy show where everything no, nothing is is quite as it seems. Is it possible that Maurice just kind of like bumbled his way through an interaction with Maurice, or I'm sorry, with Ennis, left the premises, didn't kill him, and someone else coincidentally showed up and did kill him? Yeah, maybe Cause, his because his... the glue shit seems more of a VM Varga a Varga kind of thing yeah. than, a, than a than a down on his luck, two time loser, smoked weed on his probation kind of guy. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a very strange thing to do to someone. Um, it, maybe it's an ex lover returned mm. to get some vengeance, like right. that woman in the picture. The woman in the picture, she glued his shit together. Right? Why is that picture significant? Well, she glued his mouth and nose shut. Are you also? Catching, I, I don't know. That's interesting. Are you also catching all the Cold War symbol, symbolism in this no. story? So uh-huh. we begin with the East East uh, Berlin West Berlin deal, mm-hmm. uh, and there's a lot of commentary that I read uh, today to showing the two brothers are kind of representing, you know. Uh, different cold war tensions because when they fight they don't fight directly they fight through proxies ray sends nikki to go and uh steal the stamp or smear period blood uh emmett sends Cy to mm-hmm. go fuck up his vet and give him his 20 dollars and shine him on um there's all these things that are kind of done done, done at done at removes um and also i thought it was interesting with uh maurice wearing the russia is love uh, t-shirt, which the gas station attendant hilariously misremembers him as Russian. Right. And he don't, he can't remember why exactly. It's because he's wearing a shirt that had Russia on it. And I wonder yeah. how that's going to get misconstrued to send Gloria perhaps dangerously after the Vargas operation. Yeah, totally. Um, conspicuously, one of the guys is either Russian or Ukrainian uh-huh. or something, um, right. some Eastern European country. So He's a Cossack. Uh, oh, is he? Yeah. Do you okay. know anything about the Cossacks? I don't know. The only thing I know about it is from Goldeneye, because the <laughs> villain uh, turns out that he was the son of... Uh, so the, so there's lots of... Cossacks Koth- Koth- is an ethnic nationality that was in the Soviet Empire, and the Russian Empire. And the gr- vast majority of them were loyal to the Soviet Union during World War II, but a uh, considerable amount, like some 90,000, defected to the Nazis to fight against them. And after, you know, the war is over and peace is declared, this was a chip that the Churchill and the other uh, leaders had when they're dividing up Europe. Like, you know, Lenin wanted to repatriate these people to, to, to Russia mm-hmm. and uh, Churchill signed them over. And then when they got there, uh, uh, Lenin uh, uh, or Stalin rather had them all killed. Like you do. Yeah. yeah. So and then, you know, 006 was the son of one of those surviving Cossacks gotcha. who's. Yeah, there's a whole complex story, um, and 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 like I guess Russians particularly hate those 
those the offshoot of Cossacks because they are these backstabbing traders, but they're mm-hmm. seen as kind of like a a tragic kind of um, you know um, blight on like maybe Western democracy's honor uh, on the other side. Huh. Uh, but Yuri uh, self identifies as a Cossack. Now yeah. he could just be saying that because that's some cold blooded smack to talk to uh-huh. feed into that stereotype. But uh, I thought that was interesting too. Yeah, but it is eventually it's got to lead back to this guy, right? Um, she's she's got to get mixed up in the bigger problem here, which is not the the murder of Ennis. That's kind of small ball. Mm-hmm. We're we're talking about the big picture, which is Emmett and and Varga. Because mm-hmm. um, the other thing, uh, I'm kind of bouncing all over the place, but. Um... The other thing about uh, Gloria's technological inconvenience is it's it's not just like uh, automated doors. She has problems with her cell phone, mm-hmm. and then later when the chief is chewing her out about not using technology, you got to think that a lot of the reason this police department is so backwards is that she just has bad luck with technology. So why does she want to ever use it? Right. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. If your cell phone only work 20% of the time, mm-hmm. then fuck uh, it. it. you would not use it. Yeah. If every every case file you entered, four of them gets garbled, then you wouldn't you wouldn't use it. <laughs> right. It's funny because I found myself, while I was watching, like, um, uh, who was their lawyer? It wasn't uh, Irv. Irv, yeah. Irv Hunt and Peck on a keyboard, like, uh-huh. I died a little bit inside. It's like, watch, it's like <laughs> trying to give tech support to my father. Yeah. You know? And he's just doing this lame attempt, and he doesn't know how to do Google, and he does everything. Like, he's clicking on a tat. First of all, uh, did this scene work for you no, as a former IT? Yeah, no, that seemed I like, didn't like it. super horseshit that yeah. you're going to type in VM Varga and get like a single Google result. Yeah. That's also some kind of malware. Yeah, that's just not how Google works. No. Um, but I, I don't think they're trying to portray Google accurately. I think they're trying to say, look at the control that this person has over everything about their situation but it's interesting because that i didn't buy it but i liked it because that kind of silences a lot of my critique from last week which is why wouldn't you just go to the state police or the fbi as soon as this guy darkens your doorway if this guy's Mm -hmm. manipulating google to this extent and then he has this long monologue about how you know i've been in south africa and i've been in russia and i've been in north korea for fuck's sake Mm -hmm. uh what i like about minnesota is everything nice and bland and easy I don't – I mean, they're, they're portraying this organization as being powerful enough that I don't know that they would necessarily care if the feds got involved. They would just probably liquidate everybody in Ennis's organization and then disappear to South Africa, and no one would ever find out anything about them. Glue all their mouths and noses shut. Yeah, and and yeah. that's another trope yeah. of Fargo, like these shadowy organizations that don't mm-hmm. – like, you know, season one had the Guild of Assassins. Mm-hmm. That makes no fucking sense, but you just got to go with it. Season two had the accountant organization, you know, that Mike Mill- Milligan was a was a, a member of that was pushing numbers and taking over, uh, you know, hostilely taking over these different organizations yeah. and consolidating and purchasing. And this this year has got a global multinational crime syndicate yeah. that just takes over companies um, that have dim-witted executives. So you just have to kind of roll with it. Yeah, um, and I, I don't know what happens here. I guess their their computer gets a virus and takes a picture of them mm-hmm. and sends it over to Varga and then shuts down. Yep. Um, seems like it shut down their whole network. 
Yep. So do you think the do you think the IT kid's going to have a chance of un, unraveling this? <laughs> That's what I love the when people just say, "Oh yeah, no, the IT guy, he'll know all about it." Right. He probably well, will. I mean, he'll he might be able to infer what may have happened, sure. but like he's not going to go, "Oh yeah, that Varga thing? No, I've tried that. That's all over Google." Plus these fucks aren't going to tell him any useful information. So what were you right. doing? Oh, I was just nothing. I was just sitting there and it shut off. Yeah. No, of course that's probably the best because you don't, you know, some poor dude from Geek Squad going to Google <laughs> right. VM Varga and then get his ass killed. Yeah, then a Best Buy goes down. <laughs> yep. Um, but I, I, it's it's interesting how all this stuff, this 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 technology is kind of at uh, a core to some of these themes. Yeah. Um, one of the crackpot theories I saw rustling around that seemed to be getting a lot of traction on the Fargo television subreddit that i will ref- hence for refer to as fargot v because fargo tv uh, um yeah. is there a chance that we're supposed to understand that this criminal organization that's blowing through in uh in its organization is the outcome of mike milligan getting involved in the computerized numbers mafia game at the end of last season <laughs> Like hmm. this is this is Mike Milligan taking it and and going uh-huh. big time with it and we're like like uh, honestly that seems far fetched but I would love to see Mike Milligan wearing like age appropriate makeup yeah as the head of this organization years old or something yeah yeah <laughs> that'd be pretty good I think that would be pretty fucking sweet to see him uh like just you know that he's he's span- he's he's taking this number crunching game and taking over the world with it yeah I like it. Uh, it seems like technology across the board is failing people, and maybe that's part of it that, you know, the people who are going to rely on the technology here are not going to be successful in the things they're doing. Whereas maybe a Gloria, who can't rely on technology for some mysterious reason, mm-hmm. is going to be able to track these people down and put yeah. and, and finish them off. Yeah, like he – VM won't even see her coming because she's using pen and paper and, like, all these yeah. classic. And she's off the grid. Yeah, she's off the grid. Uh, not by choice. Nope. She was born off the grid. Um, there's a lot of I'm, other interesting callbacks or Easter eggs to other um, Coen Brothers works. Mm-hmm. Like, um, first of all, most of the a lot of the reason I like this episode is I think David uh, Thulis. Is that how you pronounce his name? I think so. Yeah, he's killing it. He's great. This VM thing. I like. I like these like witty, drawly. Uh, playful dialogue, kind of like supremely cocky villains. Mm-hmm. And when he rolls up on this um, uh, this dim-witted uh, parking lot attendant, and he say, asks him to surmise, that's um, one of the, 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 the a serious man. Another Coen brother film. There's this scene where um, the, the 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 hero of the story is trying to. <laughs> nail this kid who's um, trying to pay him for good grades. Like he's trying to nail him with the accusation of trying to bribe him. And mm. the guy, he says, he says, you, you try to bribe me this money. And he goes, that's a mere surmise, sir. And he's got this like thick Asian accent. So it sounds like a mere surmiser. And he's, he's, <laughs> okay. but it's, he says, he says, that's just your, sur- you're surmising that event. Yeah, yeah. So his, his emphasis on surmise was a callback to that, I thought. Hmm. And okay. then also there's this weird transition, transition scene at, um, at Ray's work where this Native American character is saying, yeah. you know, when times are good, we ate meat and we ate fowl, we ate bread. And when times are bad, we ate tears. Um, in Raising Arizona, one of, um, uh, what was the guy's? What what was Nick Cage's character's name? I have no Vi. idea. 
wasn't it Vi? Vi couldn't or something tell like that. But he's he's sitting there in his prison cell, and there's a prisoner on the bunk above him talking about you know when times are good we ate, and he he went through the same list, and he goes and then and if there wasn't wasn't grain, we ate sand. Okay, so like. I don't. I think that's just a kind of a call, like just just as a callback to that. Uh, yeah. a, a little Cohen touch to the to the episode. Yeah, for sure. Um, so you mentioned that parking lot attendant scene. That was one of the few scenes that I didn't like. It was that scene, and it really, was, why? It, just because of the way they're portraying a lot of these people. Um, it's it seems like they're really portraying them as not just like simple innocent people but dumb. dumb people and i don't yeah. think that's the case for the vast majority of people you don't think a guy uh, in that situation like i don't think he's... but it's not just him it's not limited to him it's like the guy who seemingly has never used a computer before oh, the there's another guy who who says like there's some other language thing where um somebody says a word gloria i think says a word to somebody and they go what what are you talking about what is that it's huh. oh, it's the uh, the gas station attendant. Oh right, right. He also apparently doesn't have like has the vocabulary of a five year old, mm-hmm. and I I just don't. I guess I don't like it. Hmm. You think it's talking down to the Minnesotans? Yeah, so a, a little more than I would expect. Like yes, they're simple people, but not like in the stupid kind of way. How is it different from Justified? Because there was a lot, a lot of slack jawed yokels in there Harlan were, yeah. County, Kentucky. As That's as fair. portrayed on Justified, but to balance it out, you had Rayland, right, and you had Mags. Uh, you had Mags, yep. and you had um, Boyd, B- yeah, Boyd, and I was trying to think of who um, Michael T. Uh, oh, uh, Limehouse, Limehouse. Yeah. You had you had these supremely smart. They all spoke in the same kind of dialect, and they all had the same right. kind of vocabulary. But you could tell these people were really, really smart, and I feel like. The these are the, the 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 nation stereotypes of the the people that come from these regions, but then you have yeah. people like Gloria, who's so smart and so quick that that's the that's the thing that like you know people in the coasts I guess would overlook about these regions of the country, right? And you know I just um, think the balance is off, right? Like S Town, the podcast. That's another thing to meditate. You're talking about all these shit kickers down in some bumfuck Alabama town, but there's just one guy who's super, super smart, but he talks like the rest of them. So, like, if you just pass yeah. him on the street, you'd never guess that the guy might be a genius. So, yeah. I don't I, – because I don't, I don't mind it because it's not everybody. There's always shining examples of people from this region that are smart and they're good and they're loyal and they're faithful, and I think it all balances out. The smart people, as I can tell, are Psy and Gloria. You think Psy is smart? Yeah. I yeah. think Psy thinks he's smart and he thinks he's tough, but he's mm. – I mean, he's certainly smarter than in it, uh, Emmett. Okay. I mean, Emmett seems to be kind of just following his lead to the to to, to a large degree. What's well, just so um, uninspiring, right? You take the small fortune you get from stamps and you parlay it into being the parking lot king of Minnesota. I mean, yeah, it's not glamorous, <laughs> that's for sure. <laughs> right. I did, but but and I, I just I don't think size that smart too. I think you know VM is smart, and I think Gloria is smart. And mm. honestly, yeah, VM what, is smart. So for sure. the other thing is, what do you think of uh, Gloria's new chief, who I think his name's oh, Mo, yeah. played by Shay Wiggins, who I love. Yeah, and and I was re- I was on his side like. I get it. You're in this small town and nobody locks their doors, which I laughed out loud because we just had this conversation last week's podcast. Right. Um, you don't lock your doors and you're, you you are a substation out of a library. Uh-huh. Okay. Which that's another 
that's another um, ironic twist, the fact that most of her evidence that she's going on to piece together is books <laughs> that her stepfather wrote, and she's like the librarian detective, the great librarian detective. Yeah. Um, but when he came in there, I'm like, yeah, it's 2010. Why did you like, I'm sure you guys love just calling Dale or Joe or whatever down in County, but I bet they fucking hate you because everybody <laughs> else just looks up their shit on, on the computer and you're right. fucking calling them on their lunch hour wanting to run. Well, of course, you know, how often do they actually run plates and stuff there? It, yeah. Good point. So yeah, I, I would call this guy tough, but fair. Like he gives Gloria some time off to grieve. He plus he says Gloria this is bullshit, was, and we're gonna figure and, it out when you get back. And Gloria, like I don't think he was out of line. And Gloria, like I think yeah. he he pegged her right. Like I'm gonna pretend like you didn't just sass me like my t- fucking teenage daughter because she did. Yeah, she f- basically busted his chops and flipped him off right in front of her. You know her employee, mm-hmm. uh, and she's I I uh, I mean again she's pretty smart, but I thought that was foolhardy. To yeah. be that flip with a guy who has your future in in his hands, I just feel like she's getting used to the idea of not being the one in charge here. But also, what the fuck? What the fuck is she in charge of? I know it's that's a very the thing. Small like, department. It's the, the the existential angst of not being in charge when yeah. it's essentially you and a couple of deputies. Maybe uh-huh. like uh, what materially is going to change in your life? You're still going to run this. It's like not town. being in charge, no longer being in charge of a lemonade stand, right? <laughs> right. Like, like a new, like, hey, uh, I, you run a single lemonade stand, a lemonade conglomerate is going to buy you, and you're not going to be a franchise. But at the end yeah. of the day, you're still handing out lemonade and taking money. Uh-huh. How did your job change? Instead uh-huh. of depositing at the bank, you mail it to the home office? Like, come on now. Yep. Gloria, <laughs> you, can't, you can't talk to Shea Wiggum this way. <laughs> She's not seen Boardwalk Empire. Uh, it's bad this, for your health. So here's my question. Do you think she will crack the case before she's got to go back to work? Because she's got time off. She's certainly going to use that time to investigate. There's a strong – so I think there's a very strong possibility because one of the few Coen Brothers films that they have not pillared – that the Noah's not pillared uh, – pillaged, rather, for plots is Burn After Reading. Have you seen mm-hmm. that? No, I haven't. Burn After Reading is this big mistaken identity plot – and it's absurd, and it's a black comedy farce. And at the end, the people that are figuring things out basically like, what the hell did we learn? Uh-huh. This is just like, this is essentially, what did uh, Nikki say? It's like uh, unfathomable pinheadedry. Mm-hmm. And they're just like, fucking close the case, let's move on. I, I, Because we were talking about, like, even if she solves and gets down to why Maurice was there, there's no there there. Because he was killing the wrong person in the wrong town for the wrong reasons. Right. So this 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 goes nowhere, and I kind of wonder if if this is going to be unsatisfying because he's decided he's going to go to the burn after reading well, and the, the it's just a cosmic farce. Like it just it's fucked up. Case closed. Move on. It could be. Yeah. Um, you didn't like the the so you didn't like the scene at the truck lot, but you had the the the, the like the scene where Cy and Emmett were talking about what could be in that truck. Uh-huh. And he's like, it could be booze or guns. And then Emmett's like, you think it's maybe slave girls? What? What? No, I was going to say drugs. I thought that, that everything yeah. about that. And then he asks Sai, I was going to say drugs. You think it's slave girls? And he says, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, that that scene is fantastic. There's so much funny stuff in here. Like uh, when Nikki is talking to Ray about the sponsorship and she's like uh, – you can't be fighting a blood feud while we're trying to land a big time sponsor. 
hilarious because the stakes of those two different things. Especially since the big time sponsor is a guy who's invented a better filter for a vacuum sweeper. <laughs> right. The stakes are just That's so the big minuscule. time sponsor. He's, he's looking for a hot bridge team to sponsor. I also I, love the minis like the Minnesota arguments people get into, like uh, where Asai and Emmett are talking about whether he's too hard on Ray, and they're like, it's, it's like, okay, okay, yeah, look, yeah, I mean. Sure, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, it's they they can't like finish a fucking sentence, and that was very much Peggy and um, Meth Damon last, yeah. you know, last year. Like anytime they get into any kind of heated argument, they can't just be out with it. And it's like all this just passive aggressive statements to go nowhere, and they sputter, and then the argument's over. Yeah, I, I, I love that it. that is uh, shit. What's what's. Jerry Lundegaard to a T, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, that man never finished a sentence, never Uh got a thought out of his mouth. Uh Uh-huh. There's uh, so much other funny stuff. Like when Emmett answers the door and he sees Ray and he's like, who died? Right. (laughs) Just immediately. That's the only reason you could be here. Right. And then they go and sit down and he looks at his boots and they spin this story about people pissing all over Ray's boots, and these are the last two boots he has. He's like, "Why are you wearing the same?" Because like, apparently he keeps like taking ones that people piss on off, and that right. he's just like, oh, "These are the only two clean ones I got." Hilarious! It's really funny. Yeah. Uh, did you? So I want to talk a little bit more about Nikki and Ray's conversation because Ray. I mean, this is kind of similar to. Um, I just said her name. Uh, mm. Was it Peggy? Yeah, it's Peggy. And what was her husband's name? Uh, I don't remember. But, you know, like Peggy never felt bad about any of this shit. And her husband obviously did. And he had to bear the brunt of, like, grinding the guy up. And mm-hmm. um, it's funny because he's like, you know, he, he he goes, I got some regrets. He goes, well, of course you do. You're not you're not a heartless killer. You got the soul of a poet. I got the impression that we're supposed to understand that maybe she is a heartless killer. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out if we're, like, where her character stands with Ray still. Mm-hmm. Like, is she in this to get the stamp? Because she is the one who suggests that she go in and get it. I still and think I, I still think she I, I I still think she loves the guy though. I the I, stamp is a I means agree. to the end for her. Oh, that's the other thing. But, I was, but I'm th- not sure that's what the show is trying to say. Maybe they're keeping it a little. Uh, Keeping us guessing a bit. So this is so this is um this is a Cecily theory. My wife Cecily were watching this on the couch last night, and mm-hmm. um she when they found the safe deposit box, she's like, oh, I bet that's where they're keeping the million dollars that they owe, you know, because they they've got this, but they they want to mm-hmm. pay okay. the principal, but it's kind of like dirty money, so yeah, they're just going to put it all in a safety deposit box for safekeeping. And then this when I was working out my notes. Why would you have Ewan McGregor play two brothers unless at some point in the season you're going to clean him up, put some makeup on him, <laughs> put a wig on him, and uh-huh. have him impersonate his brother? Yeah. And what a great way – like, like what, what What if one of the resolutions is if this safety – this is now like if I – if you sent me this theory, mm-hmm. I would roll my eyes – and not talk about it in the podcast. Mm-hmm. But what if, like, we're going to be treated to a scene where he has to pretend to be in Emmett to sweet talk his way through like these dim-witted Minnesotan bank- bankers to yeah. get access to safety deposit box? He's going to open it up, thinking it's the stamp. Right. It's a million dollars in cold hard cash. Yeah, that's that's really good because because uh, again, why else? It's just it's yeah. just stunt. And it's here's the mar- remarkable thing. 
when I was watching this last night, I didn't even notice it. But when I was watching it this morning, like, holy shit, Ewan McGregor is sitting across from Ewan McGregor and there's snow falling. And it looks utterly convincing that I I completely forgot that they were the same dude. Yeah. Ewan McGregor is playing opposite of himself. Yeah. But why do you do that unless you're going to do something plot relevant with it? No, I'm with you. And I think uh, my first instinct was, okay, well, they've got to go after this safety deposit box because that's where they think the stamp is. Yeah. Uh, But that makes perfect sense as to the way they would approach it. Right. Because they've got that tool, that advantage. Although they don't – I mean, he's wearing a lot of prosthetics. So, like, I think it's still going to look pretty hilarious when he goes in as Emmett because he's not going to look like Emmett. It's going to look like an Emmett that's been dunked in acid, yeah. an acid solution. No, it's going to be great. I hope they go that way. Um, I love the funeral parlor scene. Where this this funeral parlor director is just such a such a smarmy guy where he's like, yeah. oh, yeah, I knew him. He's a terrible man. Because mm-hmm. well, he, he thinks Gloria is there to just like, I don't know, um, as, as an, an official capacity, even though she's got her son there. And he's like, when are you going to tell the next of kin? He goes, we are the next of kin. He's like, oh, well, I'm sorry about that. Yeah. And then she asks her, like, anything that he can remember this guy saying to him. And he's like, ah, yeah, most of if, if he ever opened his mouth, most of it was just to say swear words. <laughs> I just, it's, and then then he doesn't remember that he buried her uh, her her own mother. And he's like, oh, right. She's, uh, she's in a 21J, Ash. Yeah. <laughs> God, God, this guy. Yeah, he's he's the worst. Uh, you know what else is the worst? What? Race car in Minnesota. Oh. The, oh, boy. <laughs> you don't want to be driving a Corvette in foot-deep snow. No. When that's, like, basically year-round. No. No. It's, 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 uh, if he your really daily driver's a sports car, you better be living in Miami. Yeah. Because it's not great driving that shit on snow. I yep. can't, only, man, that thing, that's like a 70s era Corvette. It's not even going to have, like... Anti-lock traction control, no traction control, none of that shit. Yeah. Every time you go, like, it's going to be a white-knuckle experience every single time you drive in any kind of snowy conditions. Yep, so every Um, day. And now it's all fucked up because uh, (laughs) Cy Rams is Hummer. Now, this scene tickled me um, because it transposed this Merry Christmas song with with them flipping each other off. (laughs) And one of my things, like, I I can make Cecily crack up once a year by singing this Christmas song, and at the end where he's doing that, uh, you know, though it's been said many times, many ways, Merry Christmas, fuck you. <laughs> Always slay, like at least once a season I can get away with that. <laughs> so that was personally funny, but size fucked up because even though Ray's a shitbag, legally you still can't just ram a dude's car oh, multiple right. times. Yeah. And then even if even if you're counting on Ray... Not to say anything because then you'd have to get into his fiance smearing period blood and breaking and entering and the fact that she's the parole. You fucking hit the secretary, not the secretary, the waitress's car right. on the way out. Yep. She's got, she doesn't give a shit. He's going to like, he might get arrested. Yeah. Her line, look at what that animal did to my car. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, oh, jeez. Yeah. This, this could cause legal problems for, for Cy. Why not? Yeah, and the other thing I thought was funny is the Psy continuing to try to maintain plausible deniability to, like, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, we were, like, when, when he comes in and the office is all in chaos because VMs move in, he's like, oh, good, well, I was expecting them, I'm glad they're here, and um, yep. I don't know. Uh, so we didn't talk about the final scene, but mm-hmm. the grand plan seems this to be great. that VMs company, Narwhal Industries, is moving in, and they're going to... Um, 
launder money. And I think it's something we talked about last week, like how much money can you launder at a small Minnesota parking lot concern? But they're going to take it big. A lot, yeah. More lots and building a stadium. stadium. A yeah. stadium. And then, like, you know, that you're going to be billionaires on paper, which they're like, they're just slaves at this point. Yeah. I, I mean, the thing about being a billionaire on paper is you're probably a millionaire in actuality. Uh, so that's kind of nice. But yeah, I mean, they're just oh, getting deeper and deeper. there's going to be anything kind of nice about this, this no, relationship. No, there's nothing kind of nice about it. Uh, I Yeah. No, I, I don't know how they're going to get out of this or even if they can. I think, like you said at the beginning, this is kind of leading down the path of destruction. Well, it also kind of ties into our technology because as, as VM is listing off reasons the parking lot concern yeah. um, intrigues him because it runs on cash, no technology, therefore the income is impossible to verify. I mean, all the reasons that like laundromats and dry cleaners and shit like that is all good for money laundering right but they're putting like gloria is like the apex predator of this organization yeah because she's not using technology anyway so she's going to be adept at looking up paper receipts and trails and i i feel like that's the way it's going to go anyway yeah i'm scared because just like you know um molly was that uh Salverson? Salverson? Yeah. Molly, yeah well just like i was like i was i was always afraid because i'm like i don't want her anywhere near um Mar- malvo Right. Uh, because she's a nice person who's not ready to is not equipped to deal with these monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, neither was Tom Tom Hanks' son. Um, Gloria's a nice person, and I don't. I, I'm I'm scared for her life. Yeah, I hope she knows be. how to handle herself. Uh, well, she's she's got to go up this time instead of against um, big coat wearing thugs. Mm-hmm. She's got to go up against a tracksuit wearing thug and an earbud wearing thug. So. Yeah, when Yuri jumped out of the trailer, um, he's using like a, I think they call these tire thumpers. Um, but he oh, had like that those... blackjack looking thing, and yeah, and like they sell these things in truck stops, and they look like they're just like old fashioned nightsticks, man. But yeah. a trucker's using to like tap tires to tell whether they're inflated or not. Someone's going to get their head beat in with that before the season's over. Got to be that's Chekhov's tire thumper. I want to see what the earbuds guy is there for because he's much smaller. Yeah. Uh, he probably he's got to have some skill that makes him valuable other than listening to music right like and clapping his hands like i don't understand what that was all about but um well it just kind of shows the clockwork organization the the clockwork organization yeah, of the organization a, a cheap way to do that yeah. um but they also do a lot of eco- economical things with the character like even though yuri's much bigger and he gives him like that playful punch he comes right back at him like yeah. uh i feel like they're building him up it's like the classic simpsons episode where um, somehow Homer gets in a uh, hawk to the Yakuza and the, like the, the Sopranos ma- knockoff mafia mm-hmm. and they start fighting themselves on the lawn and, and Homer Homer's looking out through the window and there's this little tiny Asian guy in the side and he's like, Oh my God. Oh my God. That guy's just standing there doing nothing. He's going to do something awesome. He gets distracted and looks away and you hear this hi and like bodies go flying everywhere and he misses uh-huh. it. I feel like headphone wear is going to be unleashed at some point and he's going to be amazing. Yeah, it seems like just making him, you know, a martial arts expert would be a little much for me. Well, yeah. Like, I, come I, on. I, I didn't intend that's the to go down. the easiest place they could go. That's the, that's the way the Simpsons did it. I don't think that's going to oh, be the okay. case. I'm just saying that when you've got someone, you've got this, like, you know, Mutt and Jeff size disparity. Um, yeah. That, that he's got to have something about him that. Let's makes Yuri treat him as a equal and a peer. 
Right, but you know, if they were to go with okay, let's say maybe not martial arts skills, but like speed, that still feels like okay, yeah, the small guy's got speed, the big guy's got strength. Hmm. That's been done a hundred billion times before. Well, if he's just crazy strong, he's yeah, just gonna maybe. rip a man in half. Maybe like he a will be. Yeah, phone book. Maybe he has telekinetic powers. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> maybe. Yeah, he's uh, Noah Hall. He's gone crazy. He's uh-huh. now weaving his legion into his Fargo. Why not? Yeah, indeed. Why not? Anything else that we're leaving on the table here, Jim? I don't think so. I do love that this is set in Christmas because I'm loving all the decorations. I'm loving all the the, the Christmas songs. Yeah. Um, I'm loving all the snow. Uh, I kind of hope that they don't do like, – like a significant amount of time doesn't pass. I kind of want this all to be – because I noticed the date on the safety deposit box was the 10th of December – Mm-hmm. I kind of hope they keep it all like in the Christmas season because uh, yeah, it's like kind of why I was wondering about like you know before Glory goes back to work, she may have this thing solved. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of which, what do you think Shea Wiggum's role in this whole thing is going to be? I mean, it's not just going to be the foil for Gloria, right? Right, because Bob Odenkirk was essentially his role was to make Molly to prevent Molly from solving the crime. Right. Uh, and I can't remember in that season, was it because he was corrupt or because he was incompetent? He's incompetent. He's okay. very incompetent. <laughs> but there, the, the, the other police department that that was involved in was corrupt in some level. Right. Or was that season two? Uh, man, I don't remember that far back. Okay. Um, because to me, he just felt like a professional. Yeah. So I feel like maybe, um, this is just another pressure being exerted on Gloria. Yeah, but but maybe he'll flip and he'll he'll be an ally. He'll be like he'll be he'll be part of the thing that comes in and saves the day. Yeah, maybe she, he can be the tech and she can be the yeah, old school yeah, investigative she's, she's techniques. The point man, and he's the uh, support. He's the backup. He's the yeah the 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 ninjas that come crashing through the windows in the third act. Yeah, uh, that would be cool because I don't I don't really want to see him as a villain. No, no. I, I'd much rather see him helping Gloria. Yeah. Uh, and I definitely want to see more of him this season. I like that actor. Right on. Before we get to feedback, I'd like to tell you about how you can support Bald Move and all the things we do. Because as you can tell, we're super busy. Uh, we do this as a full-time concern. And the only way we're able to do that is through primarily the generosity of our listeners. You can join the club at club.baldmove.com. If you go there, there's a pitch. And it tells you everything that you're going to get. The high points are ad-free feeds, premium bonus content, premium video content, uh, the pleasure of supporting independent podcasters, uh, a dubious one to be sure, uh, but it is there, I've been told. Uh, But you can go and find out all about that at club.baldmove.com. All right, let's move to feedback. Uh, Fargo at baldmove.com. Torkel Torkinson said, I'm glad you brought up the accent of Ewan McGregor's characters. I was wondering what he was trying to do with it. As a guy who grew up in outstate... Minnesota, listening to Emmett Stussy made me cringe, but I thought his take on Ray was okay. Emmett just sounds like Obi-Wan Kenobi with an occasional <laughs> sampling of Jerry Lundegaard. Yeah. That's a good way to describe it. Yeah. I, I read an article that said the accent was a challenge to McGregor, and with Emmett, it seemed that way. I also read that it took some physical transformation for him to go from Emmett to Ray. Do you know what the production schedule was for McGregor? It might make sense if Emmett's scenes were filmed before he had a grasp of the accent. He just seems to sound more natural as Ray. I don't know, but I could see since I heard that Ewan McGregor gained weight to play Ray, 
it would make sense that he would film all of his scenes as one, probably as a skinny self and then go and eat, I don't know, 30 Krispy Kremes, 30 old fashions a day yeah. for six weeks, gain a little bit of a paunch and a little bit of jowl and go back and film all the race scenes, which is kind of incredible as an actor that you can do that. Uh huh. You know, this. They say it's like it's like a lot of acting is getting, you know, like like one of the hardest things to do is like a, a solo thing where you don't have anyone to play off of. Well, this you're playing off of a theoretical performance that you gave six weeks ago or you're going to give six weeks from now. That's what I'm wondering. Like, how do you film a scene like that? Because typically the way I understand they do these split screen single actor scenes is they leave the camera in a position. Right. They lock it down. Right. They lock down the camera and they they say go. Then they get the actor to change makeup and go oh, again. Yeah. But if you're six months apart and the man has to the down a barrel of, of Krispy Kreme and the footprints. And, right. Yeah. And, and even just getting that location again and getting the camera set up in the exact spot. I don't. Well, I don't know how you do you it. You could do is the, if the foreground's a soundstage and then they green screen uh-huh. the background and put the Stussy Mansion behind there. I, I'm sure they could do it, but uh, or maybe they just you know they just put a girdle on Ewan and and did it same day kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, you could do that. But I think they were in coats. That's so. a, that's it's neither here than there. But it, the, that it's a decent theory that you know his first take was Emmett and yeah. he didn't quite have it nailed and then. Ray comes in, he sounds much more convincing because he's had that time to have it to roll. And I can imagine how difficult if they were shooting those scenes together. Like, you know, one day he comes in, he's Emmett. The next day he comes in, he's got to be Ray. Yeah. Like, how confusing and how... How awkward that would make the performances seem. Yeah, it made me feel stupid for thinking that, like, maybe he's going for more urbane Minnesota. Because, like, that's such a... How how would you even keep that straight? Like, oh, I'm Emmett, so I'm going to do, I'm going to, I, I, it's, yeah. Be I, tough. I, I feel like that's, that's what actors do, but yeah. Sure. Hard to do. Uh, and from Huntington Beach, California. So we're introduced to the two brothers, one crafty, one a bit of a dullard. When their father dies, they're left in inheritance, and one brother tricks the other to gain the better investment. Sound familiar? It's the story of Jacob and Esau from the Bible. I know you guys must know the story, but for those that don't, it mm-hmm. goes thusly. In Genesis, Esau returned to his twin brother Jacob, famished from working in the fields. He begged his twin brother to give him some lentil stew. Jacob offered to give Esau a bowl of stew in exchange for his birthright, the right to be recognized as the firstborn, which Esau agreed to. Esau acted impulsively as he did not value his birthright over the bowl of lentil stew. To further solidify the birthright, while Esau was out in the fields one day, Jacob's mother, Rebecca, instructed her son to go to his dying blind father, Isaac, pretending to be Esau in order to gain final rights of inheritance from his dying father. Jacob pulled off his disguise by covering himself in lamb skin so that when his blind father went to touch him, his smooth skin did not give him away as an imposter of his very hairy brother. <laughs> Jacob successfully received his father Isaac's blessing. <laughs> I had no idea about this part of the story. You, like, just slept in fucking Bible school. His I mean, hairy brother? Yeah, Esau was hairy and ruddy, and Jacob was smooth skinned and comely. Or comely. Oh, okay. Um, as a result, Jacob became the spiritual leader of the Jewish fam- or the of the family after Isaac's death, and he went on to become the progenitor of the Jewish people, later being renamed Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, the similarities here seem pretty apparent. Trade out lentil stew with a vet, and you're pretty much there. Ray seems an easy stand-in for Esau, the impulsive brother, while Emmett being Jacob, the crafty brother. Esau even married two Canaanite women in the Bible, something that went against Jewish tradition. Perhaps a reference to Ray dating a woman he shouldn't as a parole officer. Hmm. I also feel like there's a reason why the same actor is playing two brothers. The Bible mentions that Jacob and Esau were twins, though they had very different outward appearances. 
Perhaps, as foreshadowed in the biblical story, the brothers will use their twins like personas to deceive. Whether they will work together or against each other, I cannot say. But I can see it coming in handy, whether it be with the VM Varga investment loans guy or with the stamp murder fiasco. So that's another, like I said, that like Ray would dress up as Emmett to somehow get in access to the box. But I could also see what if Emmett is marked for death and he somehow sets his brother up for it because they, they but I mean, I, yeah, how? Hey, yeah. dress up as see, me, Ray. <laughs> It'll be fun. Right. <laughs> so you've got a, a case of mistaken identity from a name and also mistaken identity from appearance. Sure. Because it seems Boy, like that's the worst. There's of a both mistaken identities all over this fucking place. Yeah. So I um now the only difference is is that in the Bible, Esau's the older brother, which is why he has a birthright in the first place. He came out first. Right. And I believe Jacob was like literally like holding on to his heel in the biblical story. Um whereas in this story, Ray is the younger brother and Emmett, the the Jacob's one, is the the older brother. So it doesn't quite match up there, but I I like that. And also um Fargo has certainly leaned into biblical oh yeah imagery before. So uh I like that theory. Um Josh C you have at least one listener who grew up in Eden Valley, Minnesota and currently lives in St. Cloud, Minnesota. Presumably he's speaking of himself. But to give a small point of reference between the difference between Eden Valley and Eden Prairie, Eden is a uh, Eden Valley is a small farming community with a population of about a thousand people, located in the center of Minnesota. Eden Prairie would be your typical suburb located on the Minneapolis side of the Twin Cities. Growing up, people would ask where I was from, and I would reply Eden Valley, and without fail, they'd repeat back to me Eden Prairie. <laughs> it got to the point where I wouldn't even correct them because it didn't matter anyways. I, I feel you. Yeah. I feel like if I said I was from Mooresville and someone would say, oh, yeah, Martinsville, I'd be like, yeah, close enough. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I did not know. And then they, they do a good job of showing what a small town this is. Yeah. And I saw some somewhere some person on... Oh God! This is some person on Reddit was like like said it was so far fetched that a police uh, department would be inside a library, uh-huh. and I'm like, you guys don't like this last small town Indiana I lived in. The police department was inside a gas station. Like one was side it? was the speedway, the other side was the you know uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the 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 local sheriff's department. So it happens, man. Yeah. Because again, in the in areas of the country where you don't lock your doors, and there's only one person for every ten square miles, yeah, it doesn't make sense to have a gigantic building for yeah. a single or a couple people. And that's the thing; it's not that small town America is less inherently violent or more virtuous. It's just there's not as many opportunities to fuck with people. Yeah, statistically, yeah. there's less crime. Yeah, you take it. You take ten million people and you put them in a hundred square miles. A lot of shit can happen. You take a hundred people and you put them in ten thousand square miles. Not as much shit happens. Yep. It's just it's just a matter of statistics. But uh, good 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 local book uh, boots on the ground view of the 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 scene there. Uh, Lucas VDB would like to comment on the color grading that is done to TV shows and movies. In particular, this Fargo episode. Uh, two he's attached two two screenshots. Uh, this is from last week. The West Berlin scene looks like my monitor has blue-green slime on it, but the following winter scene looks very dirty or brownish. I thought snow was white, pretty white, not this dull yellow color. Mm-hmm. He wants us to talk about why they do this in so, general. And, um, yeah, it just it seems like what is color grading and color correction, how that 
is part of their, I guess, artist tool set. Oh. Uh, well, I do know – I don't know why they did it, but apparently Carrie Coon in an interview said that they had taken all the blues out of Fargo. Um and that's what she's talking about—the color grading, where they've they've kind of which that would make it look warmer or as you right. said, yellow or brownish. Yeah, yeah. Um, so maybe that's why you're noticing a different look than the previous seasons. Plus, Dirty Little Secret on Snow is it's beautiful, like the day of the snowfall. Oh yeah, and it gets progressively, progressively more disgusting. Like yeah. after a week, it's just a bunch of bra- black, brown, dirty shit that you want to go away. Yeah, anywhere that's trafficked at all. Uh, it just looks terrible. In, indeed. But it is, like, I, I remember in the behind the scenes of, like, The Matrix that whenever they were showing scenes in The Matrix, they gave everything a dull green wash mm-hmm. as if you are viewing this through a terminal screen. Yeah. So there's a lot of, like, it's not, it's part of the language of s- cinematography. It's it's There's not, like, a hard and fast rules, but by playing with colors and the fact that we associate warm colors with some things and cool colors with other things and, like, green with money and greed and... And, and calm and red with anger and, and passion and emotion. They do those things to manipulate and to overall support the feeling that they're trying to get with. It's the same thing with music, right? Yeah. Like you don't need music to understand it, but the music does sometimes of the emotional heavy lifting and it sometimes works on a sub subliminal basis. So mm-hmm. that's, I'm not, I'm not an expert by any stretch of imagination, but that's why I think they do these things. And sometimes it's for technical reasons. Like you have different takes at different times a day. You call it yeah. correct it to make sure that everything looks the same. Cause otherwise every time you'd, you'd, you'd go camera a or camera one camera two, the mm-hmm. color would be off because the sun moved in the sky. Right. So, or even just the cameras are different. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. So they you capture don't, the picture differently. You don't want it to look like, you know, uh, a little dog from every town filmed this thing, so you color correct it to make sure everything looks homogenous. Yep. Uh, Jacob from South Carolina. I know you guys were interested in the original material from Noah Hawley per your conversations in episode 301. Mm-hmm. As an employee of Barnes & Noble, I would be remiss if I did not recommend Hawley's New York Times bestseller Before the Fall about a man being interrogated after being the only man who survives a plane crash. It's a good read and definitely has that Noah Hawley feel and plot devices and is pretty thrilling. Hmm. Um... Also, I think movie rights are being discussed for this. Okay. Yeah. Once they make the movie, let's he's, talk. He's got three <laughs> or four different books written. Now, it's interesting because I went on Amazon and I read some reviews, uh-huh. and it's a polarizing book because it seems like half the people love it and half the people said they loved it until they got to the final act and were let down with the ultimate revelation, which... Smacks that, of season two. Exactly. Yeah. And whether... For us, anyway. It, it, well, that's the same. Like... You know, it's all subjective. Yeah. Like whether you think, "Oh my God, that's so brilliant," because be, precisely because it's either super mundane or super supernatural, yeah, or you think it's lame because it has no correlation with what came before. It's all in the eye of the beholder. But um, yeah, and I, I think if they're going to make a movie out of one of these books, um, especially if Noah's allowed to direct his own work here, right? Uh, that's where I think we'll start to see some of those, some of the you know, Hollyisms in yeah, cause, there. Cause the book is one, cause I, most of the scripts for Fargo seem like they're pretty inventive and original inside the Fargo universe. It's more right. of the, like the look and feel the and the fact that it, yeah. he's intentionally putting three or four references to other Cohen films in, because he, he'd be a fool not to. Um, yeah. And then in, in um, Legion, it was so, 
you know, uh, Wes Anderson and there's like he's working for Marvel and he's got kind of got this, you know, very he's he's aping a lot of comic booky things. Mm-hmm. I, I am. I would be very curious to see him take something he wrote and adapt it to film and just see his vision without any kind of preconceptions that he's taking into the work, what that would look like. Yeah. It might just come out as a mishmash of superheroes and Fargo. <laughs> sure. Superheroes and Cohen stuff. I don't know. Sure. But yeah, I'm interested in seeing it. Um, Eric in from Grapeview, Washington. I believe that someone in Emmett's business, likely Psy, is in on VM Vargas' plan to complete the hostile takeover. I base Psy? this. Psy, hmm. yeah, he's he's as smart as you think he is, Jim. Hmm. I base this off the rate at which Vargas is overtaking the business. Up until Vargas' goons killed the lawyer, I don't understand why Psy and Emmett just don't go to the FBI about the money laundering. It seems like there's nothing Vargas could have done proactively to stop Psy and Emmett from freezing their bank accounts and contacting the feds. I still see no evidence Varga has any real presence in Minnesota, especially not to the point where he controls the Minnesota State Patrol or the federal government, making a, this, this a risky strategy unless you knew you had a friend on the inside who can keep the boss convinced not to simply go to the authorities. Um, the only other explanation is if Emmett or, and or Cy had been running their own illegal schemes and Varga knows of it. When he later mentions the Cy and Emmett would be billionaires on paper with stadiums, just how long does he intend to run the scheme? Um, yeah, I... I mean, we talked about this a little bit, but yeah. there's also, as you point out in your second thought, VM says when he first meets him that we've been going through your books for a year or more. So if there is, like, like how did they get into money trouble in the first place? Is there any kind of, um, hmm. you know, bad faith on those books that they can use for blackmail material? Maybe. And also, I think that Noah Hawley wants us to think that these guys are badass, globetrotting sophisticated criminals that are like out of a bond villain movie and they just don't give a shit about, you know, like, like, yes, they would be, they wouldn't stand and fight against the FBI. They would just kill everyone in the Stussy organization and then fuck off to North Korea. (laughs) Right. I mean, operating in North Korea. Yeah. That's crazy. That's the thing. I, I feel like people on people who say, Oh, well, there's no real indication that they're, uh, you know, deeply entrenched in this area, but there's no indication that they're not either. So, I mean, that's what's got to be going through your head. You know, if I go to the police, well, am, am I actually going to authorities that will help me? Or am I am I going to someone who's under the thumb of Varga already? Like, well, especially the lack when, of information cuts both ways, I guess. I mean, and plus it's got a scared as shit out of Emmett. Maybe size working for him, but on Emmett, when he says, oh, by the way, condolences for your lawyer, I can't have anyone looking up on me. The fact yeah, that he for sure. knew, I mean, because they don't know anything about the internet scheme, but the fact that this guy, there are only three people on his planet knew that he was looking into it. Two of them, one of them's dead, two of them's in the room, and this guy figured it out and liquidated him within like a day? Right. That's that's objectively scary it is but even before that i mean you know this guy's associated with Mm -hmm. organized crime that has implications with with law enforcement with all kinds of things and you've got to take that into account before you just go to the authorities especially if you've got a nice house if you've got a wife you love if you've got kids that are successful and families you got a lot to lose so a lot to be afraid of and i'm not saying that not going to the police is the right thing to do here Sure. It's just, there's a lot to consider. Yes. Yes. Barry C. from the UK. What are the tropes of Fargo TV universe? Badass cops who are underestimated, such as Lou, Molly, and Gloria. Someone new to the world of crime who's out of their depth, such as Lester, Ed, and Peggy, and Innes, 
uh, and Ray, a character who is an agent of chaos, Lauren, Hanzi, Varga, uh, the two ex- and two eccentric hitmen, Wrench and Numbers, the Amish guys, these new guys in season three, somebody in- incompetent accidentally setting things in motion, Gus, Rye, Maurice, and a supernatural event that comes from nowhere. I think we can make an argument for all these things being in each season, with the exception for now, the supernatural event in season three. Do you agree with these troops and would tropes, and would you add more? Yeah, no, I think you nailed the big ones. Um, I would say incompetent law enforcement in general. Yeah, because like it's usually with the one exception, with the one right? exception, yeah. like like Lou and his dad are the, yeah. the good ones, uh, and Gloria is the good one. Um, did you know that Gloria's deputy was supposed to be Jim Gaffigan? Yeah, I heard that. Yeah, and, and apparently he, he had, had a schedule skin. conflict, and they because mm-hmm. like you can kind of almost tell, yeah, that he's kind of meant to be Gaffigan-y. I'm I'm really really okay that Gaffigan wasn't in this. You don't like Jim Gaffigan? Uh, there's something, yeah, something about that guy I don't like. His BMI? <laughs> uh, no, his no. Complete lack of pigmentation. No, I have no problem with his appearance. It's just I I don't know. I guess I don't like his comedy. <laughs> I mean, he's not my favorite. It's not like yeah. a, you know a Louis C.K. or Dave Chappelle, but uh, I, 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 mean, I enjoy it. Here and maybe there. he has different gears that he would have brought to this show. I don't he's know. He's my favorite of the Colonel Sanders. Okay. Yeah. Sure. So you got that going for you. <laughs> um, what are, so he, also, he of... never would have got all that gold off. Hmm. He would have come to set every day with just head-to-toe gold. Hmm. It would have looked real out of place in Fargo. <laughs> uh, the other trope of Fargo, I don't know if it's – I guess this is like a more but like crime doesn't pay. Okay. Like yeah. no one ever gets away with anything. Like there's Seems there's like karma it. and there's there's all like like consequences of of these yep. things. And the more you double down, the worse it's going to be for you. Uh, and there's always it seems like there's like moral crossroads where characters have chances to like redeem themselves and they just don't do it, or yeah. they want to redeem themselves and it's too late. Like I'm thinking of like uh, you know like Hansi last season. Yeah, where he just like you know I don't want to do this anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't. I want out, but it's too late for him. Yeah, um, and I I can't remember if he mentioned this maybe at the beginning, but a a spark of horrific violence. Yes, to kind of kick it all off. Yeah, like you got to have someone go through a wood chipper. You got to have right. someone ground into sausage. You got to yeah. have someone have a two hundred pound air conditioner drop on them. Yeah, something along those lines. Um, I'm trying to think if there's any others I'd want to add. I can't. The supernatural element, unfortunately, is a thing. Yeah, but I could probably live without it. But I, I think that's that's that that's probably the one that's hanging out there. What was the? Was there a supernatural element in Fargo the movie? Because as far as I remember, there wasn't. Hmm. And that, maybe that's why this feels so wrong when they do it in the show. I. And Don't, I get that it's a Cohen thing at large, but yeah, I mean that's the thing because it's uh, it's it's not just Fargo that they're they're um, right, you know, kind kind of uh, digging this stuff out of. Um, but you know, I don't think so. Okay, I'm trying to rack my head, and there's, I mean, it just seems like it's all an engine based on pettiness and greed and ignorance, right. and and foolishness. <laughs> yeah, kind of wish they'd stop. I mean, like I I liked Lauren Malvo. Yeah. And I liked his kind of like, you know, how did he get out of the basement? And and the lights like flickering when he's in the bathroom and like the hint that he's like more than than abnormal or more than normal evil. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, the UFO and all that stuff, I don't, GTFO as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Jeff K., this is a long, and I, I've probably edited three quarters out of it. Um, 
discussion about bridge. So oh, if you don't shit. give a shit about bridge, this is the last thing we're going to talk about. And All then right, we're I'm out. Get out of here. <laughs> so Jim is actually cl- clocking out of the office and taking off. Um, but I'm I want to I'm going to read it just to get some background for people that want want it. I thought it was interesting. Uh, it says, "Hey guys, my parents were life master bridge players, and I used to tag. What does along. that mean? I have no fucking clue. Life they, master. They were I'll seventh, look it up. They were seventh Dan black belt bridge player, and I used to tag along when I was a kid and worked the tournaments as a caddy." I played a little bit as well, though not in a long time. Bridge, of course, is a trick-taking partnership card game. Four people sit at the table, and the people sitting across from each other are partners. Each player gets 25% of the deck, which is 13 cards, so each hand is 13 tricks. The play of the hand is preceded by a bidding process, sometimes called an auction, where players go around clockwise and bid for the contract to be played. Eventually, the bidding ends and is determined which of the partnerships will be playing the hand and which will be defending. Um... He says, the bidding has two parts, a number between one and seven, and a suit, the four suits, as well as no Trump or no no Trump suit. A final bid of seven no Trump is the highest possible bid, and if actually is made, is called a grand slam, and it means you'll take all 13 tricks where there is no Trump suit. The type of bridge that they're playing in a show, which is the one by far most common in bridge clubs and tournaments, is duplicate bridge. In duplicate bridge, all the hands that are played over the course of the session are pre-dealt and put into bridge boards, which you can see in the overhead shot when the bridge scene opens. The deck is not reshuffled after the hand is over. Each player merely puts the hand they had back in the slot that designates their position. Players are denoted as north, east, south, and west. Um, Typically, the north-south team stays at the same table the entire session, and the east-west teams move from table to table, usually every three hands or so. What's interesting about Duplicate Bridge is that you're not really being judged against your actual opponents. You're being judged against the other teams who are playing your exact same cards at different times in the tournament. Hmm. It's not whether you beat the team that you're actually playing against, but can your team do better with the cards you are dealt than all the other teams who are playing those exact same hands? Interesting. So theoretically, you can lose every hand that you play, but if every other team with these same cards loses worse than you, you'd actually end up in first place. That's fascinating because it's yeah. a completely level playing field. It takes the randomness of the draw out, yeah, and everyone has this level playing field. That's kind of cool. And I didn't know that. Uh, as far as money and professionals and bridge, it's very, very rare that people actually earn a living playing bridge. More likely, a professional player earns their keep through giving lessons, running a bridge club, or writing books. Top players often have lesser players pay them to play with them, both for instruction and for helping them move up the bridge ladder. So, so for glory, for glory, like why do you go to a bridge instructor if you're not going to end up making money with it? I, I guess mean, glory. Yeah, I mean, why does why does anyone get good at anything? Like, uh, I would argue economics is a pretty powerful driving but force. Some things like ping pong and bowling and and pool, where like people are playing pool for like maybe there's hustle on the side, but it's mostly for the 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 pleasure of it, right? I suppose. I mean, competition itself can be. Like we played Magic the Gathering not because we ever wanted you expected to go to a tournament and win a hundred thousand dollars, just because it was fun to play. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't pay somebody to teach me how to be better. But if you wanted to make that net, so let's say you started crushing your Friday Night Magic every week, and you uh, wanted to get to the next level, and there was online you could search for master magic player that would show you the ropes. Yeah, I think that's where people's temptation, and it's probably all suckers bet because. Like if you play, you know, I mean, if you play, if you pay a pro to help you with your golf swing, I'm sure your golf swing will get better, but it's not going to make you a professional. Yeah. Or like all these stupid, 
you know, there's so many podcasters that sell their services to other podcasters or like you can go to seminars and pay for a thousand bucks and they'll tutor you and let you in their mastermind groups. And it's all bullshit. Yeah, you're not going to make a living podcasting. <laughs> but but the people making a living off people that want to make a living podcasting right. are making a good living for themselves. That's true. And we're just out there hustling, trying to win in the margins. So. Yeah, so if you want to pay us to learn how to podcast, <laughs> uh, Fargo at gmail.com. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't do it, man. I don't. I, no. I, 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 couldn't, no. I couldn't look at people straight in the eye and take their money. That's why I sent them to gmail.com. <laughs> because I know it's a crapshoot. <laughs> right. Like, I give you, I, you could do everything that we've done to get our modest success, and it still might not work. Work out, and I yeah. would feel bad. I want to give your money back. Yeah, I'd go. I go broke trying to be a professional podcaster. I do. I do actually like. Yeah, that that form of bridge seems to be less about random chance. Uh, I wouldn't have guessed that. Do you think that that's there's also if we look in parallels, like Ray and Emmett mm-hmm. were arguably played an identical hand. Emmett just made more of it. He chose the stamps, whereas his other brother chose the flashy Corvette. And, and you know, and that's it's not just that. Like, you can extrapolate a life of choices similar to that. Like, oh, I'll date my hot parole. Yeah, and I'll, oh, I'll right. Do yeah. Like, like there's, there is a, a, a line where, like, and, and you see that, like, people win the lottery, and then they're broke, they're bankrupt 10 years later. Yeah. Like, people are, are given identical circumstances, and everyone does differently according to the choices they make and their abilities and luck. So sure. I wonder if there's a little bit of that to where, like, they're saying these brothers who are not identical twins, but they're as close as you can get in fiction and, and not being identical twins. Yeah. Um, but they were they're handed the same kind of genetic cards. They're handed the same family and background cards, and they've done completely different outcomes with them. Yeah, it's true. Uh, and I wonder if there's going to be other other fa- like phases of that like are they going to show Emmett as like he's a very gifted amateur but he's going against an expert in VM yeah and he's going to he's going to crap out for sure i think both he and Sai are amateurs by comparison yeah yeah um it'd be funny i don't know it's, it's like is there like it'd be funny if um, cuz i just noticed that him and Sai and Ray and Nikki make like evenly matched like partners like, mm-hmm. is there ever going to be a time in the series where they sit down across a bridge table? <laughs> they play a high-stakes bridge game, game for, the, bridge. for the remaining stamp in the stamp collection? Why would Emmett ever agree to that? I don't know. Maybe, that's could, thing, maybe like, next episode he goes on a bridge binge. Yeah. They came so – like, I do kind of – part of me believes that if he had gone straight up and just apologized to Emmett. Yeah. And a, a month later, Emmett gives him the stamp. Because he doesn't so. need, he de- clearly doesn't need it. Yeah. So, anyway, there's there's my and and I also kind of agree with Sai that that wouldn't have made Ray's fortune either. Right. Um. So there you go. Because nothing, not for nothing, he's a he's a murderer now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh. That's it for the week. If you'd like to send us some more feedback, you can do so. Fargo at baldmove.com. and uh, we will we'll be back for next week. Mm-hmm.